Hello everyone, thank you for joining us today. We're going to go on mute for just a few moments while everyone arrives. Hello, thank you for joining us today. We'll get going in just a moment. Hello everyone. We're going to get started with some basic housekeeping information while everyone logs on. I want to thank you for joining us today. My name is Leah Freeberg from Fluke Excelix, and this is part of our best practices webinar series. You probably know Fluke is a test tool provider, and you may also know that we produce some of the industry's favorite reliability tools from our infrared cameras to vibration meters, but you may not know that many of the measurements that our tools collect now flow automatically into EAM systems of record. And it happens via a framework we call Fluke Excelix, thus the sponsor of this series. Our goal with this is to better connect asset management data into existing asset management systems. And it all turns around best practices and condition-based maintenance. So that's why this series of webinars explores reliability maintenance strategies. And that's why we feature speakers from a variety of expert backgrounds. Before the presentation, we have a few housekeeping items to go over. Today's session is being recorded, so the phone lines are muted to minimize background noise. We will save time after the presentation for your questions. Now, if you have questions during the presentation, please do feel welcome to use the questions feature on GoToWebinar to submit them as we go. So take a minute now to find the questions tool in the dashboard. At the end of the talk, I will share as many of your questions as time allows for our presenter to answer. And if we still have unanswered questions at the end, we'll follow up with written answers. If you'd like to receive the slides from today's presentation, there will be a survey at the end of today's session. So before you close out of the webinar, wait for the survey. And then as you answer the questions in the survey, that will trigger the webinar slides to be sent to you. You can also watch a full recording of this webinar on excelx.com within a day or two. So that's it for housekeeping and now for the main event. Today, we are very pleased to have with us Tom Wilk, Editor-in-Chief at Plant Services. Tom will be presenting on industry trends and emerging technology for 2020. Tom is Editor-in-Chief of Plant Services Magazine, a Putnam Media publication. He joined the Putnam Media editorial team in 2014 and previously was content strategist and mobile media manager at Panduit, breaking new ground for that company in the areas of digital content strategy and mobile app development. Prior to Panduit, Tom was lead editor for, excuse me, Battelle Memorial Institute's environmental restoration team and taught business and technical writing at Ohio State University for eight years. Welcome, Tom, and thank you for being with us today. Oh, Leah, thank you very much for having me. It's going to be great. Tom, I really like the points you share in this slide. I bet there are some correlations between training and running a marathon and some of the work you do professionally. You know, it's interesting, especially for this presentation. I don't put these bullet points um, in every CV situation, <laughs> but doing this research has felt a life planning for a marathon. Um, one of the pleasures of working for plant services has been to pick up the the reins on our every, on our nearly annual predictive maintenance survey. Um, I have now been on the staff and done five of these surveys, and I think there's real power in seeing how the data change and evolve over time. Uh, it's the only mm. longitudinal study of its type that I know in industry. 
Yeah. Um, although there are, there are other people who are actively engaged in finding out uh, what their readers and and also their clients think. Um, yeah, this one see this. This one does often feel like, okay, how am I going to hike the Grand Canyon today from South Rim <laughs> to North Rim? <laughs> so I have one more question for you before we get started. And uh, it's, I'm intrigued that you're able to share the pre-result of this survey while it's still running, because you're still collecting responses. So how is that possible? We are. And here's the good thing about this survey. Um, I'm going to provide this link to take the survey once we're done with today's um, webinar. Um, the reason we're able to share this preview data is because we do have enough of a data set right now that we can draw some basic conclusions. Um, we have, we've had a number of respondents to the point where we have observed there's a, a threshold to cross, and at that point, the results don't really change a whole lot. Uh, they, they may change by a percentage point or two, but we feel at this point that we have, we have had a, a response set uh, that's good enough to start talking about the data. However, we are always interested in more responses, we, and we'd like to hear from people um, after they take this, um, after they listen to the webinar here. Um, again, as this slide showca showcases, Plant Services Magazine um, focuses on smart solutions for maintenance and reliability. Um, our latest issue covers uh, several organizations in Chicago who are pushing the digital envelope for the maintenance, reliability, and operations sector. And as I stated uh, a minute ago, here are some links to previous survey results. Um, this is for reference for anybody who downloads the slide deck um, after we're finished with today's webinar. Um, you can click these links and start getting the uh, survey results from our three surveys. And right now, Leo, we have staggered these every 18 months. Um, we're going to relaunch the electrical safety survey later this fall. Um, we did just release results from the workforce survey that we do last September. And again, um, in, our, in our April 2020 issue, we will be revealing the full results from this year's 2020 PDM survey. I'm very excited. I, I agree. This is um, one of the only surveys of its kind that I know of, and I'm so thrilled that you're sharing with us today. So take it away. Thank you. Thank you. I thought I'd start today by recapping the takeaways from the webinar that uh, I delivered through Fluke Excelix last year. Um, it was a recap of the 2018 PDM survey. Um, it's a combination of just observations that we're able to make by, by covering industry and also the data that come in. Um, and we saw some interesting trends last year. Um, number one, the notion that your data are gradually becoming as valuable as your assets. I think that practitioners uh, are, are really picking up on the fact that the, data, the condition data, they're, they're collected on, the, on assets, especially assets that could possibly be networked up back to the OEMs, uh, there's value in those data. There's value to the OEMs, there's value to third-party analyzers, and, uh, and, and so people are starting to figure out, are there ways to perhaps even monetize the value of those data? Um, in conjunction with that, the second point was that there's no silver bullet right now to overcoming the skills gap. Um, based on various reports you read, there's at least a million jobs unfilled in industry, uh, possibly up to two million according to Deloitte. Um, and I think part of what's part of why these trends are intersecting is because um, this this trend has forced plant teams to look outside the plant uh, to partner up with with services teams, with technology providers, to get the job done when it comes to maintenance and reliability. And I think you're going to see some interesting results from the 2020 survey in that regard, too. And then the last two points go hand in hand, too. Um, we observed that people, in part because of the skills gap challenges, are retrenching and optimizing their preventative processes. We heard a lot of stories in 2018 and 2019 about teams that were optimizing their PMs because they knew the IoT was on the way. So they wanted to make sure that there wasn't, there wasn't any inefficiency uh, in in on the PM level. Um, they also wanted to make room for things like big data analytics and network security basics. Uh, there was a cover story that we uh, wrote about a year and a half ago, which focused on when it comes to automation, automated systems, uh, what our maintenance teams are uh, responsible for. And we found that increasingly maintenance and operations are responsible for patching and upgrades uh, and basic network security. This isn't something that would have been the case even five years ago. Um, but with these four points in mind, uh, we launched the 2020 survey 
uh, to find out, okay, so were people leveraging their data in certain ways? Um, had the skills gap, attitudes to the skills gap changed, and had people moved beyond PMs into more interesting uh, proactive maintenance modes like predictive and prescriptive. So this first um, part of the presentation focuses on job titles and what we can learn from those uh, as far as uh, predictive maintenance practices goes. Um, we'll get to the results in a second, but first there's a poll question. I'll throw this back to Leah. Uh, it's a question that we asked our readers, and we'll look at those results after you, the attendees, have had a chance to answer the poll question. I love it. Thank you for giving us this opportunity. So I'm going to trigger a poll right now that you can all answer. Uh, you should now see the questions on screen. Go ahead and use your mouse to choose one of those options. So which type of maintenance approach is predominant at your plant? Is it reactive, run to fail? Is it preventive? Is it condition-based or predictive prescription? Now, obviously, most of us run a combination of these, so pick the one that is predominant. And as you'll see in a moment, this falls in line with this survey that, as Tom says, they've been running year over year, every 18 months for quite some time. And it's quite fascinating to see how, as Tom says, plants have changed um, and why they've changed. So give it, I'm gonna give it just a couple more seconds here for everyone to have a chance to weigh in. So choose which of these is the most predominant at your plant, reactive, preventive, condition-based, or predictive, or even prescriptive. I'm most curious to see if, if uh, any of us really fall into that prescriptive um, bin. All right, we're at 74% voted, so I'm going to share the results with you now. So this is interesting. We've got 54% in the preventive bin. 32% in reactive as predominant, and some folks who are doing condition-based and predictive. Tom, what do you think about that? Uh, I think it aligns pretty well with what we're seeing. Um, you know, when it comes to these predictive maintenance surveys, it's often a tale of two plants, where if the plant has been able to move beyond reactive and into preventive or even condition-based, mm -hmm. uh, it, it's, 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 it's a stepwise evolution. Um, right. And we, right, you know, we, we haven't seen, I, I, we haven't seen a majority say, yes, our predominant mode is condition-based or predictive prescriptive, uh, largely because the asset classes don't require that be the predominant mode, but certain asset classes, I think, do um, require that uh, more advanced maintenance uh, modes uh, will help them uh, run, run efficiently. Mm -hmm. Well, hold on to these results in your head because I'm going to flip it back over to you now and let's see what answers have appeared so far in the nationwide survey. Okay, so this is what we've got um, for the nationwide survey, and you'll see it does sort of map on to where the attendees were today. Um, the question in our survey was slightly different where our respondents had a chance to check all that apply. So instead of choosing the predominant mode, what you're seeing here is people checking all the ones they're engaged in. And again, this, I don't think this is a shock to anyone. In fact, uh, one of the reasons I like this question is because it's a useful benchmark to establish from the outset, okay, who is doing reactive, preventive, condition-based? If you feel like you're stuck in run-to-fail, you're not alone. You know, 70% of our respondents said, yes, of course we do run-to-fail sometimes, uh, either when it's appropriate or, or they're hoping to break free of that. But if you look at predictive, more than 50% of our respondents now are telling us, yes, we are engaged in predictive maintenance. Um, so, you know, it, the question even a couple of years ago might have been up in the air over whether predictive maintenance uh, was a worthwhile investment, and those questions seem to have been seem to have been resolved. And the questions, as you'll see, in our survey results, are more focused on what tech, what technology do you use and for what application. Okay, looking at job titles real quick here. We asked this question to just just take the temperature, especially of how quickly reliability job titles have emerged. If you look at the, the results in the past three surveys before this new 2020 survey, you'll see the rise of the reliability engineer. Um, you'll see a slight decline in maintenance manager, maintenance engineer. Let me put up the 2020 numbers here. Uh, we, we're seeing a jump right now in the number of plant managers who are responding. Uh, plant engineers remained fairly stable. Maintenance manager dropped down a little bit and so did maintenance engineer. Uh, maintenance technician has remained stable, and reliability engineer, reliability technician dropped down slightly, um, more, than the, more on the technician side. 
I think this is interesting because after a period of steady growth in the reliability side, it seems like um, reliability titles um, are stabilizing. They're, they're not growing as quickly as they were before. Um, but we're also seeing, I think, what a lot of people in the industry are seeing, which is a gradual reduction in the size of the traditional maintenance team. Um, and I think that trend is, can, is going to play into some of the data you're going to see coming forward in this. Okay, this next question was, who in your plant makes decisions on asset monitoring tools and configurations? Please check all that apply. Uh, if you look at the top three, it's reliability engineer, plant manager, and maintenance manager. And I think one of the, one of the interesting uh, points of comparison here is that compared to last year's data, the plant manager is being deferred to a lot more. And I didn't do a comparative slide here, so I apologize for that. Uh, you are seeing the maintenance manager still have the majority of the authority when it comes to decision decisions on asset monitoring tools uh, with reliability not too far behind. Um, and I think one of the reasons you see plant managers emerging here is, yes, number one, they are in charge of the plant, but also number two, there's something different going on when it comes to the technologies themselves. Um, oh, here we are. I, I apologize. Here we are. This is, this is the slide which compares them. You'll see plant manager has jumped. From the, from the previous survey from 28.6% to 45.3%. Um, and we couldn't help but notice that huge jump. Uh, maintenance technician rose a little bit. Um, the rest are, are uh, maintenance engineer uh, went down. Uh, the rest are fairly stable. So what might explain uh, the rise in this result where plant managers have a lot of authority? I think this next slide goes some way to explaining that. We ask, are you using OEM-enabled remote monitoring technologies or services? In 2017, the number of people who told us using now is about 19%, and the folks who said they had no plans was hovering at 60. In 2018, you start seeing those numbers shift. A full quarter of respondents said, yes, we're, we're working with OEMs to, to deploy remote monitoring. And people who said no plans had dropped down to 45.8%. Now for 2020, are you are you sitting comfortably? 40% of respondents on this survey are telling us that they are now partnering with OEMs uh, to do remote monitoring, and the number with no plans is down to 40.2%. Um, again, this is preliminary data, and we'll be doing the final percentages later this month. Um, but part of what this is telling us, I think, is that uh, part of the job description now on the maintenance reliability side is to manage these partnerships. Um, so the first takeaway that I want to suggest here is that as your full-time teams are shrinking in size, I think it's uh, the responsible thing to make sure that everyone on your team, maintenance, reliability, uh, operators, uh, as, as, to the degree that they do um, uh, maintenance tasks, make sure that your decision makers are comfortable managing services partners. Um, it's a different kind of conversation, I think, than maintenance teams have been responsible for in the past. Um, I, I think this trend goes alongside other trends, such as NFPA 70E writing maintenance responsibilities into their risk assessment process. Um, there's a whole level of responsibility and strategy that maintenance reliability is taking on in plants these days. And uh, these survey data simply reflect that the nature of the conversation is changing. Um, so with that, we'll move on to the second area of the presentation. Um, this is, these are the questions where we ask our respondents, what are they actually doing with uh, predictive maintenance technologies? How are they applying them? Um, this is a summary of results. We didn't have room to give all the questions uh, room in the slide deck. So some of the application questions you can access uh, once we take the full server results live. But I'll go to the first one here. Um, what, which PDM technologies have you deployed? You can see that there are four that emerge as the four most commonly applied technologies over time here. Vibration, ultrasound, infrared, and oil analysis. Um, motor testing isn't too far behind uh, that. So how does 2020 compare? I think you see some interesting variation here. And again, these are preliminary results. Um, this question is the question where the most variability exists based on who takes the survey. So these 2020 numbers, uh, of all the ones you're going to hear about today, these are the ones most likely to change, uh, not dramatically, but change to a certain degree. 
Um, vibration in 2020 increased. Uh, surprisingly, ultrasound is down to 45.6. I do not expect it to stay there, frankly. Um, corrosion is back to 42.1% after a one-year dip. Um, and infrared, uh, I refuse to believe that only 60% of respondents are <laughs> using infrared out there. Um, what I think, when you compare this question to the other part of the question, you know, part of this question says, who has no plans to use these technologies? Um, I want to bring up the 2020 results because I think that's the most telling part of the no plans question. Uh, take a look at how those numbers compare, 2018 to 2020. No matter, no matter what the variability on who's using what now, I think it's remarkable that the numbers on the no plans side are remaining consistent, uh, fairly consistent uh, over the past two surveys. Um, and what this tells us in planned services is that people's minds are more or less made up. Um, if you're not going to use it, you just are not going to consider it. Either you've ruled it out because you know you don't have assets that require this application, or, or your team has decided that it's not a good investment of the technology. Um, either way, I, I do, do want to point that out, that um, we are seeing stability in people's attitude towards predictive maintenance. Other questions we've asked, what are the obstacles to predictive maintenance uh, success, program success? Uh, there wasn't one obstacle that stood out. Um, there wasn't any problem with communicating um, plans to the C-suite. There wasn't any problem with C-suite expectations. Uh, people had considered that they knew how to show the ROI of these technologies, usually centered on unplanned, avoided unplanned downtime. Um, so, you know, if if you, if any of you are working in an environment where predictive maintenance is an open question, uh, I, I would like to share with you that in many ways, I think industry has is familiar familiar enough with these technologies that the question is less open than it used to be, if it's open at all. So this question. Um, whenever I present these results, I always say this is my favorite question, and, and it remains because uh, what data collection methods do you currently use with your PDM program? Um, we lead with paper-based, and back in 2014, a whopping 72% said yes, are, we are using paper-based. This is one of those questions where you can check all that apply. Um, so the percentages won't add up to 100 when you add down the column. I'm going to pull the 2020 results. And I think it's interesting that paper-based remained the same over the past 18 months. And let's see, before I say, yeah, every, in every single other category, you see a rise in data collection. Uh, you especially see a rise in wireless sensors, the fourth row down, going from 28.8% to 46.8%. You see a big rise in internet-enabled sensors as people are getting more comfortable with IoT technologies. Um, one person I recently talked to uh, reported that the problem now in his plant wasn't whether to put IoT devices in, it was how to wrangle all the data coming in from the devices, how to integrate all the various um, <laughs> points of origin for the data. And again, if you look at what people are doing collecting these, these data, data is coming in from everywhere, phones, tablets, PCs, wireless sensors. So. Um, we did ask this question this year. Is your PDM system integrated with any of the following higher-level systems? Um, this is something which Leah gestured towards when she was introducing the webinar. Um, you'll see that uh, EAM, CMS systems, close to half of our respondents do have PDM tools and data integrated with their CMS, their SA management system. Um, but none of the options that were provided uh, hit more than 50%. Um, and this points to, again, that larger trend. You've got a lot of data coming in. Um, people may not be exactly sure where to put it, how to store it, how to integrate it for ease of access. Um, so takeaway number two for today's webinar is that this is a belief of mine, again, based on what I'm seeing in industry and in the data, that the next frontier in predictive maintenance and in proactive modes in general is data and systems integration. Uh, consider using a single platform to collect your data. Um, you're going to have to research uh, what are the useful technologies when it comes to moving these data into, into one or two centralized places. 
Uh, it might be a, a master database where you can partner with third-party analytics teams and have them extract the data. It may be uh, a platform where you can pull reports together and have a unified vision of all these different data coming in, uh, whether it's infrared photographs, uh, whether it's vibration signatures, whether it's ultrasound um, uh, signatures. But uh, there is a challenge right now out there to make sure that the data doesn't get stuck either in the devices themselves or stuck on people's PCs uh, or just stuck all over the place. All right. So the last trend that I want to talk about today, and then we'll get to questions uh, from attendees, is corporate culture. And, you know, a lot of PDM programs have risen and fallen based on um, the, per the champion behind the program. Um, Oftentimes, the program champion will stay just long enough to get the program in place, and then either uh, there will there, be, be a moment of turnover, either a better offer somewhere else or uh, a restructuring within the company, and suddenly your champion is gone, right? Um, so we combined these survey data, the PDM data, with survey from our last workforce um, uh, data sets to try and eliminate what are some of the cultural considerations going on when it comes to uh, proactive maintenance programs. With that, um, I'm going to turn this back over to Leah to run poll question number two, which is a question that we asked of our workforce survey respondents last September. And, per, and after we get your responses, uh, we can take a look at um, what the survey said. Wonderful. Let's do it. And I'm really glad that you highlighted the vulnerability of the program champion because, indeed, that caused a lot of um, ups and downs in uh, program success over time. So I've launched the poll again. Which okay. of these factors would most impact your decision to stay or leave? Now you should be able to choose one option right now. I see people voting. Is it, and so things that would influence you to stay or leave, is it thinking about burnout in your current role? Is it dissatisfaction with the corporate culture, with the co culture where you work? Is it uh, downsizing, offshoring, closures in your organization, or fear that that might happen? Is it retirement or other personal factors? Or do you simply hope not to leave? So we've got about 40% of the folks voting at this point. I know this is a little trickier to think about, so give yourself a moment. Which of these would most impact your decision to stay or leave? And uh, I have to say, I'm a Gen Xer. I'm gonna out my, my age. And uh, we're the generation where we just dig in and we keep going. And that's really different between generations, your attitude about whether you stay or leave your job. So I'm really glad you're asking this question, Tom. All right, so we've got yeah. about, hmm? go ahead. I'm a, I'm a fellow Gen Xer right with you, Leah. And uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it is interesting um, that it, it's a preview of what's to come. Uh, some of the results we looked at it generationally, and I think, I think some people will be surprised at what yeah. comes up. Yeah. We've got almost 70% of folks voting. It looks like we're pretty stable here. So I'm going to share the results with us now. Okay. All right, so 24% say burnout would be a, a factor. Mm -hmm. More, 38% say dissatisfaction with corporate culture. So that's that's the highest reason here. Downsizing and offshoring, as you've hinted, there's a there's a workforce shortage, right? So they're not as worried about that, 3%. Retirement or personal factors, so we still have some folks who are ready to be done. And 14% uh, hope to not leave at all. What do you think, Tom? You know, I think this maps on generally to the results that we saw <clears throat> in our survey. Um, it is interesting that I think that people on the call right now uh, wouldn't consider corporate culture as important as those mm. who took the survey, mm -hmm. um, and we'll see that in a minute. Um, okay. But yeah, this 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 looks like uh, it, 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 as the attendees will see in a moment, this maps on to what we're seeing too. Okay, I'm going to hide these results and okay. uh, turn it back over to you so we can see what the the mass survey shows. All right. So again, these these were the results from the people who took the plant services survey, and um, you know, people who reported burnout uh, for our survey was more like 40% instead of 24. Uh, a majority said dissatisfaction with corporate culture would force them to stay. Uh, would, would would impact their decision. Um, same thing with downs downsizing and offshoring. Uh, that was the least. That was less than 20%. Um, but you do see the 80% number there, right? And the reason that we got 80% in the circle is because 
when we divided up generationally, um, the standout differentiator among the data were that people who res responded as millennials said that corporate culture would be their top stay or go factor. And again, it's, uh, there's been a lot of talk in the industry about how to find the next generation of talent. Um, it, is, it is absolutely true that uh, a lot of folks might be either discouraged from going into trade schools or might not be offered that path at all. I think it's interesting that uh, there was a survey by a uh, software provider leading to lean, um, where 75% of the people who responded in that survey said that no counselor or mentor had ever suggested trade school or vocational school to them as a career path. Um, that's a big challenge. And interestingly, you know, our, with millennials, um, one way to engage them to stay is to is to really drive home the fit of the corporate culture with who they are. Uh, this 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 doesn't mean to, to to respond to every whim of an employee. But what this means is that if the corporate culture um, suits their their personal goals in life, uh, you're you're a lot more likely to get them to stay than <laughs> really any other factor here. So this is an overview of the workforce survey. This was um, a, a forked question where um, we asked uh, frontline employees uh, one type of question. We, we separate out the results from frontline employees and uh, more uh, managerial employees, from plant managers down to supervisors. Um, and I think it's interesting to see that the results overlap in general. Um, the same priorities were shared by both. I think that uh, it, standing out, number one, is that uh, top concern is uh, finding skilled workers to fill open positions. Um, and you look down two rows down, worker retention and turnover is a high priority, but it's not the second most priority. The second highest priority links into the takeaway that we talked about just five minutes ago about data integration. Um, knowledge capture, knowledge transfer is a huge uh, challenge uh, reported by our by our survey uh, respondents, and I think that links back to uh, the challenge of getting data all in one centralized location. If you can, um, how do you capture the knowledge of people moving on and moving out? Okay, we'll move on. Um, what could your organization be doing differently to recruit new talent? Um, three things stand out here. Of course, higher starting wages is always welcome. Better benefits is part of that. Um, but once you take the money out of the equation, the runaway um, uh, top answer in this question is better promotion of training and career development opportunities. This does fit in the corporate culture to a large degree. Um, when NASA, there we go. Uh, when asked how to improve retention, 55% says higher wages, 44 benefits, and 55 training career opportunities. We wanted to find out what would people do when faced with those training and career opportunities. And so this is the last survey question I'll, I'll leave you with for today. Um, these two questions, have you participated in or taken advantage of any career development programs or assistance that your employer offers? If the programs exist, two-thirds of respondents said yes, they will engage in those. Um, and about 20% said no, one-fifth said no. The next question was a question designed to find out if it didn't exist, what would you do? How likely are you to engage with a mentor or a coach if your company provides the opportunity? 51% um, said very likely and 49% said maybe or no. Um, and again, this, this speaks to a common dynamic that we see in these surveys uh, when it comes to questions which are about professional development, um, about certification opportunities. Um, about, say, pursuing your level one vibration tech certification or your, your, or your level two infrared tech certification or your CMRP. Um, we find that about two-thirds of respondents have these available. And when it comes to the what-if question, about half would do it and half wouldn't. You know, and again, the, this feels, again, like a tale of two plants where if the culture gets it, they really get it. You know, uh, especially that second question, the what if question. Uh, this was all things being equal. Would you do it if you had the opportunity? Um, I'm still a little surprised that half would say maybe or no, um, given the fact that, um, you know, uh, 
certifications are one way to broaden your skill set and stay relevant in the, in the profession that is getting more technical by, by the year. Okay. And Leah, I'll forward the slide here. So this leads us to takeaway three, and this is the end of the formal part of the presentation, which is, I just want to remind everyone, now more than ever, your corporate culture, in so many ways, is key to future talent recruitment and retention. You know, um, you can't keep the good talent if you don't offer the programs and the opportunity for them to succeed or fit in. And again, for the for the millennial generation of workers, which now is the largest body of workers in our industry, um, um, corporate culture is going to be key towards uh, convincing them to stay on. So with that, um, I want to offer a couple of next steps for all attendees here, whether you're listening on demand or, or live day. The 2020 Plant Services PDM survey is still open. Um, we are we are ex excited and encouraged uh, to have you share your thoughts with us on what you and your plant are doing. Um, we're going to close the survey on Friday, March 20th, but until then, it's going to be open. Uh, you can either write down this link. It's plnt.sv slash 2020 hyphen PDM, all in capital letters. Um, this link will be live in the slide deck. That will be available for downloading after this webinar is over. Um, one of the things that we're offering in exchange for your time, and the survey is about a 10-minute survey, is anyone who completes the survey will be entered to win a $300 gift card as our way of saying thank you. And everyone who completes the survey and uh, will also get a, a full set of the survey results before anybody else does. If you're interested in previous market research, like the full workforce survey or the electrical safety survey, check out our library. Uh, that library is at that short link below, the same plnt.sv, and this time slash 2020-MR for market research. That will take you to a page um, um, where you uh, you can view the, uh, all the all the previous survey reports that we've done. Uh, and these reports are not just the survey data themselves. They include commentary from leading industry figures on the data and what they're seeing in the data as well. Also, I want to give a shout out to one of our contributing editors, Doc Palmer. Um, he is the member of our team who is most focused on PM optimization and proactive maintenance optimization. He writes a monthly column for us. Uh, hopefully, many of you have heard his name before. He's highly visible at conferences, and he is the leading expert in this area of planning and scheduling. Um, he appears in our magazine every month, also online every month. And he already has outlined in this column the 12 principles of planning and scheduling, six for planning, six for scheduling. And I think uh, a lot of his thinking may help you prepare your teams for, for a more proactive maintenance mindset by mastering the preventative first. With that, I want to thank you for staying with me on this presentation. I know we've got time for questions. Um, so, Leah, um, back to you. Thank you. And I want to encourage everyone to type in your questions. I've gotten a couple in, but you've got time now to enter more questions using the question tool in your webinar dashboard. So on to the, the questions we've gotten so far. Um, so this is a probably generational, but there seems to be a little bit of consternation about culture, as one would expect, right? So mm -hmm. we're going to take a stab here and say that most of the people who are in managerial positions are a little bit older, right? And therefore potentially more responsible for corporate culture and perhaps less in tune with dissatisfaction of corporate culture being a reason for leaving. As I, mm -hmm. as I outed earlier, uh, being a Gen Xer, right? I'm, I'm more inclined to dig in. Um, mm -hmm. So you mentioned a couple of pieces of advice for what makes, um, what, what are good things to do to improve culture, uh, right? So better training, wages, career opportunities, those are the th three things. Mm -hmm. um, but if it's still a bit of a mystery for people about how to improve corporate culture, what advice do you give them? It's interesting. Um, I'll, I'll lean back first on a survey that we did with our management columnist, Tom Moriarty. Um, he ran a survey, it's been two years now, we're going to try and update it in the coming year, um, on um, leadership and training. And one of the things that uh, we discovered in the survey was that there's a gap 
in between the date where a person is first promoted into a leadership position, like say first-line supervisor, mm-hmm. and the day when they get their first leadership training in how to be a leader, how to be a manager. <gasps> Interesting. The, the average gap is eight years. Oh, my goodness. Okay. So, you know, that, that's that's probably the most dramatic takeaway from that survey. There's a lot more nuanced data on, on what motivates people and what don't, uh, what doesn't. Um, but that has always stuck with me as the as a sort of hidden but important uh, point of investment in your leadership team, which is because if you're gonna if you're gonna take someone and move them into a position of team leadership, even you know, especially the first position. If they have not had good apprenticeships along the way, if they have not had good mentoring, um, chances are good they're going to be out at sea for a while. And those are the people, I think, who you want to have uh, a certain solid dexterity in leading people and managing people. They're the, they're the ones who are the most in contact with the rest of the front line. And as such, they're an important carrier of the corporate culture. Um, the values they carry, the way they conduct themselves, the messages that they uh, act as go-between between the frontliners and more senior management. Um, those people we found are being pretty much ignored when it comes to effective leadership training. Um, so that's one place to start is uh, for plant teams looking at the the first-time managers. Uh, that level of management is so critical in fostering the right sort of corporate culture. Um, I think that uh, the, those folks, especially could use a higher training budget um, in, in, in leadership training to excel. Um, the other thing is that we're finding that in a lot of plants, the role of reliability engineer, reliability manager, is loosely defined, right? You're not going to get a match on any given job title across any given plant, but reliability especially can vary from place to place. There was an excellent article in our magazine by Michael Blanchard from LCE where he says, okay, given all these reliability titles, what is sort of falling out as the core responsibilities? And what he found was that when it comes to digitization, when it comes to bringing in digital tools, remote monitoring tools, uh, data data integration, uh, single you know data platforms, that is more or less falling to the reliability function. Um, not always, and again, but but often. So when it comes to the corporate culture where you're thinking ahead, uh, new technologies, digital technologies. Um, we're seeing it most often falling to the reliability side, whether those folks know that they're responsible for it or not. Um, so that, that's, that's sort of a long starting answer, Leah, but I wanted to make sure that our, our listeners understood the, the background behind, you know, focus on your frontline supervisors to impact culture. And also, if you want to evolve your team into a more digital, digital mindset, reliability is often the place to start. That is a fascinating answer with so much depth behind it, Tom, um, because you've just clearly called out that, that training is required for all folks in the plant, not not just for folks who are who are newer to the, the career of the industry, but support for managers is essential. And again, I, I think a lot of us sort of took that for granted uh, maybe a decade ago, and you can't mm-hmm. now. And, and you keep pointing out that responsibility is increasing. The strategic role is increasing throughout maintenance and, and reliability. And that is just fascinating that there's so many nuances there. The job really is is so different. Um, it is. And and we, we, we know each workplace is differently, of course, um, but it, it is striking um, that, again, when it comes to the corporate culture, those, those two linchpins uh, have, have a big difference. Yeah. It really, it really is. And, uh, you know, oh, when you see surveys of, of the newer generation, um, they're just as worried about uh, displacement from technology as, as the rest of us, even though they're arguably more familiar with it. So sure. um, that, that'll be curious um, in manufacturing, right? So I, I agree with you, obviously, yeah. that um, recruitment remains the number one concern for getting newer folks in. But um, uh, it will be interesting to see their impression of manufacturing as a viable long-term career and, and what it, what their impression of it is, right? Do they have an outdated impression? Yeah. Do they have a modern impression? Do you know? Right. You know, it's 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 interesting that two the two user group events that I've been to um, that have the most millennials and and Generation Zs uh, present at them. Uh, one of them is in San Francisco, as you might imagine. Uh, it's the OSI Soft Pi World user group mm-hmm. event. 
-hmm. and the other one is PTC LiveWorks out in Boston. So, mm -hmm. so both 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 events are on the coasts. Um, both events draw a lot of newer workers to the profession, mm -hmm. and I think it's interesting that both of those um, conferences focuses on the software side, the data side, right? Mm -hmm. um, and mm -hmm. so. If people's first introductions to the maintenance reliability field um, are not coming from guidance counselors and are not coming from people who would otherwise be in a position to recommend, say, trade schools, um, I have noticed that a lot of folks at those conferences say, oh, I can apply my skills with software and analytics to reliability. Of course, I want to help the machines run, on run, and of course, I want to get people home safely. And I've seen a lot of people under 30 who are just drawn to, um, to the MRO field because of that. That's a really good insight. That's a really good, and actually that rolls into another question we got about security because I think that's a relatively new thing for maintenance and operations to be responsible for, and I think a lot of us aren't quite comfortable with that. Do you have any insights to share around adding security to the responsibility set? Um, you know, it's two thoughts, I guess, uh, less recommendations than thoughts, the f and they both center on the kind of conversations to have. Um, the first is that if you're on the op if you're on the operations technology side, the OT side, um, and that's usually where MRO uh, would, would, would fall under functionally, um, there's no harm in talking to the IT team about what they're facing and the security protocols uh, that they've employed for the, for the, for the larger business. Um, there's a good chance that IT may not be as well-versed in OT security uh, as you might be. There's, a good chance, there's also a chance they might be, but no one's going to know. Uh, uh, what the security strategy is unless those teams talk to each other. And so that's what we're seeing a lot more of is, say, the VP of operations and, and the CIO should be meeting regularly these days if they're not already. Yeah. Um, and they should have their, 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 uh, their, their first and second level managers also meeting regularly just to get a sense of who knows what about security. Right. Is, you you the quoted part of it. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Just the, the second part is that um, this is where a partner comes in, um, and one of the reasons why one of the uh, we we are inviting a lot of system integrators to uh, write for the magazine and write for the website, um, because integrators have this wonderful high-level view of of the levels of plant security out there and where they're vulnerable and where they're not. So uh, that's the other kind of conversation I'd recommend. Um, practicing is how do you talk with integrators and what is your relationship with the system integrator partner? Yep, yep. Um, and that that goes back to another question that we got in uh, to the the data transfer and data integration piece. Um, mm -hmm. It's great to see the data lining up with the chatter, right? Because there's a lot of chatter about data integration because obviously it's a big headache. We have all these systems out here that were never designed to port data, right? They were designed to be closed loop. Um, mm -hmm. And it's it's really good to see the, the concern about data transfer being actively connected to data integration as, as a solution. But does it feel like, based on your results, that people are up for the challenge that it's moving forward? Because you said that there were fewer barriers. So is it is there a forward momentum that you're seeing there? That's it's a great question. And if I can if I can invoke the Fluke name, I think Fluke was a leader in this area in making data transfer from one tool to another from the from the device to the platform frictionless. Mm -hmm. And I think mm -hmm. what you're gonna see is uh, OEMs and platform providers making it seamless for the frontline workers and for the for the plant teams because goodness knows there's enough going on in the plant that it's, mm -hmm. it's, an, it's, an, it's, it's, it's an extra burden, I think, to ask them to, to learn integration themselves. So, um, you know, we I think we saw networked appliances first come in on the compressor side. Um, they were the very, very first, mm. um, but Fluke, Fluke was right there with them uh, when you put radios, wireless radios on your, on your tools and develop the Excelx platform to help host, it, host those data and others. Mm -hmm. um, so I do think that that's a trend that we're, you're going to see more of, which is the tools themselves will have the, uh, the, 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 the porting technology inside of them. And it, it's up to them, the facility, to make sure your wireless network is robust enough to handle all the data moving around. Mm -hmm. So when you, when you called out that vendor management uh, or OEM management was now part of the skill set, I think that also triggered a few questions. Um, so mm -hmm. do you think that training is required in that as well, or do you think that's something that the plant can just uh, gear up for themselves? 
Um, there might be some training required there. Uh, it, you know, the, the classic book in this field is probably Getting to Yes, uh, probably published by Harvard Business Press, uh, Basic Negotiation Skills. Um, the challenge there is for the plant to find some way to do a self-assessment, for example, or to bring in a, a reliable, uh, a trusted partner that can help assess for skills so the plant knows what they need um, because that that's the position where the plant manager and those maintaining the relationship should should be starting from these conversations as a place of knowing what, what talent you have in-house and what skills you'll need to import from the outside. Um, I remember, um, and this is, boy, this is four years ago, Leah, uh, I, I attended the PowerGen conference down in Florida, and Lincoln Electric, uh, was, I believe that it was Lincoln Electric, uh, they were, they are, um, uh, labor partners. They 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 deploy they're tactical fantastic. teams on a contract. Yeah, yeah, they they go on a, on a contract basis out to um out to plants to to help get programs off the ground. And one of, one of the challenges that they had talked about with me was that um, a lot of times plants, once they got comfortable with that team, would try and would ask them if they were available to come on full time. Mm. And so and, and in Lincoln, and so they said, you know, our business model for Lincoln has to be robust enough where we've got to offer good benefits and et cetera to make sure that our people stay. Mm -hmm. um, but they also made the good point that, you know what, um, the plant has to know if you need the full-timer on board. And if you don't need the full-timer on board, if you need someone who can help guide the program, who can help troubleshoot, who can help uh, help remote, even remote, remotely troubleshoot from an operations center, uh, that's the kind of partnership you, you, could, you should look for. Um, it all, but Leah, to, in my opinion, it all starts with that self-assessment to get to, to that position of knowledge, uh, so that uh, you know whoever you talk to um, knows the scope of what you're looking for, and you can help. You can start from that position of uh, the right scope. It's a really good call out, and I don't know if you know, but um, Fluke actually, we've we've always gotten uh, requests for on-site consulting and we've and we've always said it's not really our gig we make we make tools and software right but um as a software provider you have to provide customer service and support and we have now started offering on-site assessments not for uh so much for our own tools but as you say in general what status mm -hmm. is your plant at where are you at what do you need what is your next logical step you know do you need to work on preventing on preparing your data do you need to go further back to critical assets uh, assessment what is it and i think you're so mm -hmm. right that the system integrators are they shine for that as well there are all these reliability consultants out there who are great at this for getting a, a sort of a third party take on where is your plant at and what is your next step it's a really good call out yeah, it's funny. The, the second major trade show that I attended after taking the position with Plant Services was Rockwell Automation Fair uh, back in November of 2014. And as I rode the flight back from Anaheim back here to Chicago, um, I was seated next to a system integrator who couldn't have been more than 30. Um, <clears throat> and we, we had a long talk about you know, what drew him out there uh, to Anaheim all the way. For, he, he was from uh, uh, northern Indiana. Uh -huh. now, what drew him out to Anaheim? Uh, what, was his, what was his investment? And he he said in 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 almost these words that um, industrial uh, systems integration and network work net work with net industrial networks was the future. He said that he was going to retire. He was going to retire on on this work. He was going to retire young, and he was wow. going to retire well. And he was going to retire well. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh um, my gosh. So. Yeah, the the integrators know the need is out there, and yeah. the, you know I want to I want to give a call to the Control System Integrator Association. There's a wonderful index in the CSIA page called the CSIA Exchange, and mm -hmm, it lists mm -hmm. uh, a lot of independent integrator partners as yes. well as the major integrator integrator services. Um, they're a wonderful team to work with. So they if are. you are seeking to to start this journey and and find out what integrator partner might be good for you, uh, I would start with the CSIA Exchange. I loved that you called out Tom Moriarty earlier because we had him on the show and he did a great presentation on, on leadership and what that requires. And we had, but I want to reference another presenter we had, Lucas Marino, because he okay. did a very interesting statistical analysis on the ratio of internal to external service providers. So how, you know, for your, your ROI, and, and he was really challenging us to think in more of a business perspective about maintenance operations, right? And so to meet your budget as well as your uptime, can you use data to organize sort of this perfect balance of internal versus service provider assistance? And, and he did a great job of it, but 
it pointed out a concern that people have is, is budget preventing them from using OEM and using service providers more? Do you see any of that concern about budget in there? Um, it's, I, I think that Luke makes a great point about um, knowing that budget number and that budget number would be key in a conversation with your senior leadership. Mm -hmm. um, I see a concern less about budget right now um, and, and more about two things, culture, which we've gone over, mm -hmm. and honestly, supp supply chain issues. Mm. Um, it, it, it's been it's been a volatile uh, supply chain market out there for a couple of years now, mm -hmm. and th things seem to be settling out for better or for worse uh, and where parts might be coming from. Um, but the cost of those parts has been variable. Um, mm. So, you know, it, honestly, when it comes to budget, Leah, that's what we're hearing is that um, a, a lot of teams are are just uh, keeping the powder dry, for want of a better term. Uh, mm -hmm. because they, they, they want to make sure that the budget they plan for is a budget they can keep to when it comes to um, getting in parts. Um, I, I think predictive maintenance in general and, more, and proactive maintenance um, can help you keep a better inventory and, and right. be less dependent on that supply chain. Um, but yeah, right, right, right now, I, uh, the, the concern, especially for, is coming from the warehouse side, where they want to make sure that we're going to have the parts in stock. Um, um, along with any proactive programs that we that, that go forward. Well, of so, course, now you're seeing integration sense. between the supply side and maintenance operations so that you get better um, better visibility into what parts you're using mm -hmm. and how much of a lead time you need on them. So that that's helpful yeah. as well. Good. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think that there was another bit of a, of a flag uh, where I saw some questions pop up around the um, the program champion vulnerability. So are we still seeing a lot of turnover then um, with the, the people who really get the programs up and going and then are, are recruited away? Um, you know, from our perspective, Leah, it's happening uh, enough that no one can afford to keep the both their eyes shut and mm. rely on this for good. Mm -hmm. um, it's it's, I, I can't say there's any, you know, from what we see, there's no consistency across the board on will, it, will a plant do it or won't they? Um, but it, this, this, is one, this has been one of the most consistent uh, issues that I've heard in, again, in my five and a half years with plant services, which is up, you know, we had the program going and then so-and-so left and now we got to rebuild it or restart it. Um, mm -hmm. In fact, um, we, we, did a, we did two cover stories in 2016, one on how to shake the rust off um, when you're trying to restart a PDM program, mm -hmm. and one, and then one on what are the seven, what are the seven tips from a leadership perspective on how to how to build continuity before your program um, mm -hmm. might fail. Mm -hmm. So I can mm -hmm. direct I can direct people out to PlantServices.com and, and and Sheila Kennedy, our technology lead writer, wrote both of those mm -hmm. stories. Oh, she's fantastic. Um, yeah, and I, I haven't seen that problem go away. Uh, it, it certainly hasn't gotten any worse, but it hasn't gotten any better. I think it's just one of those challenges which people will have to live with. Right. You have to think in so many different directions when you're building a program. You have to plan for succession. You have to involve people. It can't just be a one-man uh, mission, right? Right. And part of that planning for succession, I, I do believe now, includes um, having a solid platform to hold your data. Uh, it goes beyond the data historian in the EAM system. You need to have that point of operational business continuity uh, in place to make sure that no matter who comes or goes, that you've got this historical, this clean, reliable historical record of what's been happening with your assets. Uh, that whether even if you do have significant turnover, the, the next teams can come in, take a look at the records, and proceed from there. We obviously are in full agreement with you, and thankfully we've we've made a lot of progress in terms of um, interest and willingness to use electronic data gathering, be it sensors or, or other devices, right? There's been a huge turnover and it's making a big difference out there. Right, right. And that's, if there's one takeaway uh, that I would offer too on, on top of what you just said, which is, you know, lean on those systems as a point of business continuity. I, it, it wasn't that way even five years ago, but I think it is going in that direction. Very smart advice. Good. And I think that's a good outro for us. I want to thank you, Tom, for your time today and for again for sharing this data in advance of the survey. I think that's just a fabulous opportunity that we all got today to see how live, if you will, uh, see how what we're experiencing lines up with the national. Um, so thank you for coming on today. I appreciate it very much. 
Oh, Leah, thank you. It's, it's a pleasure to be with you today. Uh, thanks, thank everyone for listening. And again, we, we invite further responses to the PDM survey. So go ahead and go back to that link. And we, we look forward to hearing your input. Uh, yes, so we will send you that information after the webinar. Um, if everyone listening would please take the survey that will pop up as soon as I close this, because we want to know your feedback from today's presentation. We want to know what other kind of presentation you'd be interested in. As I said earlier, this webinar will be recorded in full and available on excelx.com shortly. We'll make sure to get you a copy of the slides as well. If for some reason you don't get a copy of the slides, let us know. And thank you very much everyone for attending. Thank you again to Tom and to the entire team. And we are going to now close out the webinar and see you next time. Thank you.